You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with a, another class here out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. We're going to be talking about time slips and interdimensional phasing tonight. Many of you probably have not heard the term interdimensional phasing, but time slips, yeah, we have an idea about that. And uh, those who have been frequent here to connecting the universe are aware that time travel is a uh, rather favorite topic of mine and this will be kind of a preview of a few things that i'm going to be uh, uh, writing about well i'm currently writing about in my forthcoming book i've been saying that the forthcoming book is called connecting the universe kind of after the uh, class and show title well yeah scratch that uh, actually, that's going to be a whole book series, and I've decided to split that up into a variety of different topics, each getting their own book. So uh, time travel, stack time theory, all of that is going to be getting its own book. And so this is going to be out of that. Okay. So for this, those listening to the uh, podcast version of Connecting the Universe later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. There's a 30-day free trial for that, but uh, it gives you access to a lot of information that I challenge you to try to digest within 30 days. Uh, you get, uh, of course, the weekly Connecting the Universe interactive class, but you also get monthly Q&A videos, sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos, exclusive articles, insider travel blogs like uh, Ancient Egypt, American Southwest, Ireland, and, of course, we're going to have a lot more uh, with the video blog for uh, Ancient Egypt coming up here soon, having just gotten back from the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour, which Stargates of Ancient Egypt 2 is now available for next year. I'll be posting the links up there on uh, social media. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Of course, my website as well, mikebricksecker.com, will have the new links up there uh, very, very soon. So check all that out. Join us in Egypt next year, April 17th to the 28th. All this and more at connecteduniverseportal.com. By the way, those that are members get the app. If you get the app and all you have to do is log into uh uh, ConnectingUniversePortal.com, go to the community area with your phone, and it'll uh, it'll have a link right up there at the top where you can download the app. And then you'll get notifications right to your phone. You can catch everything right there while you are on the move. All right, let's get to the class question for this evening. 
That is, if you could use time travel to change history, what moment in history would you change? There's kind of a uh, general consensus here with this question. So for instance, Connie said, I would be scared to mess up something by changing anything. We have learned from mistakes and the good things that happen, who would want to change them? Absolutely, we do learn from our mistakes. You know, there's so much learn, or so much learn, so much more that you learn when you make mistakes and you fall down flat on your face, uh, you know, you know, burning your hand, you learn not to touch the hot stove, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and they are sometimes some very hard lessons, but by your mistakes, you tend to remember those a little bit more. Hey, I don't want to do that again. Um, Todd says, I would not do it. Butterfly effect. Results could be catastrophic. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go back, even if you try to say something, well, yeah, you know, this war here or, you know, that plague there, if it didn't happen, even though it was devastating or horrific to think about, you know, how would that change the world today? You know, some of those different things that happened long ago, if you were to eliminate them or change them, we might not be where we are today. You might, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy where, uh, you know, I live here in Ohio and, uh, you know, if that changed my ancestor's life, you know, I might not be here or I might not even exist. So that would be an issue. Jen says, I'm not sure I would. I believe everything happens for a reason. And if it changed, we would not have the same reality we have now. Personally, I'm rather happy with my life, which is yeah, basically what I was just saying. So it seems to be like an overall consensus. Yeah, let's not change it. Let's just not screw around with that. I will say this because I'm pretty much, I pretty much agree with that. But I would say this. I would like the invention of the video camera to have happened, I don't know, a million years ago, just so that we could actually see the way history played out. You know, it eliminated a lot of this controversy that we have today in so many of these different academic fields where you have archaeologists and Egyptologists and geologists and, you know, all these different fields arguing with each other about how old some of these things are and who invented what and who built what and how it was built, et cetera, et cetera. To clear up a lot of that confusion. But maybe, hey, Maybe that's all part of the fun in all of this. You never know. So, all right. So we have Tom and Sarah in the house. Great to uh, see you. And I like Sarah here. <laughs> Sorry, I am late. Time slipped away from me. I think that is pun intended. And uh, Tom is asking, wouldn't uh, time slips be more random than predicted? Yeah, we're going to kind of get into that and uh, try to figure out how some of these things may actually be happening. So let's kind of get into it. Okay, time slip. So I uh, have talked on this a uh, little bit before when we've talked about uh, time travel, interdimensional beings, this sort of thing. We, we have hit this topic. So those listen to the podcast later, you can go back and, and listen to those. Or I do have some videos up on the Mike Secker YouTube channel that you can kind of dive into on this. And what I think it all comes down to is uh, is Frequency, energy, vibration, resonance, that sort of thing. Um, take a look at some uh, some waves here that basically I used for the, uh, the artwork for the thumbnail for this uh, particular class. But, you know, everything in this universe comes down to those uh, fundamental 
connections. You know, we're talking, okay, connecting universe, connecting the universe, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, when we talk and we get down to the molecular level, when we get down to the the atoms, what brings everything together, you know, we are talking about, you know, even, you know, the atoms themselves are vibrating. You may be sitting in a chair right now, you know, sitting at a desk like I am, but even though it seems solid, it's really not. Everything is vibrating together. And if, you know, with the table or what have you, yeah, those atoms are, you know, vibrating really, really close together. However, if you're getting on the right wavelength, the right frequency that they are, it is conceivable you could pass right through it. So dangerous to think about is if you put your body into that same frequency and pass, try to pass through a wall, um, for one, what does that do to your internal organs? We don't know. But two, what if you were in the middle of the wall and suddenly your vibration changed and you ended up in the wall? Kind of, um, what was that in the, the Harry Potter term? Splinched? You know, you got splinched. That's a little scary to think about there. But let's actually take a look at you know, what a time slip is, which is basically two moments in time that are resonating or vibrating at, at the same frequency for a moment where you get a glimpse of another. And this is, I'm not going to get all into stack time theory tonight, but this kind of adheres to the idea that, uh, you know, all time is concurrent, past, present, future. And we can kind of theorize what the catalyst may be. But uh, essentially what happens is, Two of those moments that are in that stack happen to hit the right frequency for a moment and they get a glimpse of each other, like I said just a moment ago. So what I'm going to do here is I have some clips from a little bit of an older video that I have up there on uh, on the YouTube channel, Time Traveler. So I'm going to let myself uh, kind of talk about a few of these different time slip events. Uh, the video was the uh, Time Traveler's video which you can go back and, uh, you know, take a look at on uh, youtube.com slash, well, it's the Haunted Road Media channel, but uh, I've changed that to the Mike Rick Secker channel. So the slash Haunted Road Media still works, but YouTube has kind of changed it up. So it'd be youtube.com slash at mricksecker. Yeah, I know, not Mike Rick Secker, right? Yeah, it's because I had a much, much older channel that was Mike Rick Secker. And somewhere in their system, they still see that and said, I can't take the name. Go figure that, even though it's, it's me, it's mine. All right, we're going to start with the uh, one of the uh, older stories here of time slips, and that is with the Versailles time slip in France. On August 10th, 1901, Eleanor Jourdain and Charlotte Annie Moberly, two middle-aged English women, were walking through the palace gardens of Versailles in France, seeking out a building called the Petit Trinanon. As they searched the grounds, they suddenly noticed that the other people around them were dressed in very different clothing and looked very similar to those during the 18th century prior to the French Revolution. Specifically, they saw a man on the step of a summer house who appeared completely out of time, pockmarked with smallpox, and another woman in an 18th century gown drawing a sketch of Marie Antoinette. The two women also spotted a plow in the garden but the gardeners at the time stated there was no longer a garden plow at Versailles, although one had been there during the reign of King Louis XVI. 
After the women reported their sightings, others began to come forth to report that they had also seen outdated people roaming the gardens of Versailles, including Claire M. Burrow, who claimed that she had actually walked through a gate which had been sealed up for over a century. The video is kind of interesting to watch because that was basically when I first moved in here, uh, which was almost three years ago now. So Jen and Maeve are listening and watching from the road. Listen, don't watch. Well, Maeve can watch, but uh, Jen, yeah, you listen. Uh, and then uh, Sarah asks, in order to experience a time slip, would the outsider have to be outside of time? No, um, they would not have to be outside of time. We're going to see that in some of these examples where there are interactions uh, between the two different parties. So uh, they do not have to be outside of time. That would be more of like, you know, an observer, you know, somebody who's uh, in the fifth dimension and they can kind of freely move in and around time, which certainly could happen. And that may be why we see like some of these shadows or apparitions or wisps or whatever just move super super fast you know that they may be actually some sort of uh you know fifth dimensional being that we're getting just a glimpse of uh, because they hung out in what we would perceive as time for just a moment for us even though they're outside of time observing but with a time slip both observers are within that well traditionally people call it the river of time, but I will say they're both within the stack of time, but that moment is just uh, on the same frequency or resonating at the same frequency for just a moment and they see each other, but they're both in time. So did the ladies of Versailles, this is also Sarah, get seen by others at that time period? It seems that they did from the account that the others that were there also saw them. We're going to see more of this effect later with other stories other than the uh, other than the Versailles story. Uh, but it is pretty interesting that they they did at least get a glimpse of several of these different uh, things at Versailles, like the like the plow, uh, you know, the the woman who was uh, painting Marie Antoinette. It, it put it put what they saw in a specific time frame. And so. Next time we go to France, this is definitely a location that I want to go to. We only had like a day in France here when we headed out to Egypt, but I uh, definitely want to hit Versailles just really to get a better grasp of this particular story and, you know, what they actually may have seen. You know, the, the gentleman there with the, uh, with the smallpox, um, you know, he's, he's one that seems to have, uh, you know, maybe had some sort of interaction with them or, or what have you. Um, so we're going to take a look at some more stories that basically have like a whole slew of these different things. Um, and as I was putting this together for this evening, I didn't realize that I actually have a lot of stories, uh, concerning this. So, um, so let's take a look at another one. It's, um, not as far back in history, um, but is again, another, uh, quite an interesting tale here. I can bring that one up. It was 1935 when Air Marshal Sir Robert Victor Goddard of the British Royal Air Force may have gotten a glimpse of the future of the RAF. On a flight from Edinburgh, Scotland to Andover, England, 
he flew over an abandoned airfield from Drim, not long after he took off from Edinburgh. The old airfield was in complete disarray, overgrown with foliage being eaten by cattle and hangars and shambles after much disuse. Shortly thereafter, a storm whipped up and the high winds caused his plane to spiral toward the ground. Goddard pulled out of it, but then discovered that his plane was headed right back over Drim. As he flew over the airfield again, the skies opened up to bright sunshine and he could see a much different vision of the airfield. The foliage was gone and the hangars looked brand new. No longer abandoned, four planes were on the ground, three biplanes and a monoplane painted yellow. The mechanics on the ground strangely didn't notice him and they were all dressed in blue. It wouldn't be for another four years before the Royal Air Force began using a monoplane of the type Goddard spotted, started painting their planes yellow, and began dressing their mechanics in blue. So another interesting story here, this is an aviation type story from the 1930s. And here, you know, we have an example of seeing a glimpse of the future. Now, what would be interesting is, um, you know, if they would have seen him from below, if they would have seen his plane, but it doesn't seem like Sarah asked a moment ago, um, you know, do they see each other? And it usually seems like they do. In this case, it doesn't seem like they did. So what was the situation that he became an observer of this point in time rather than an interactive participant? Well, it seems like the catalyst here is the storm. And you know, we talked at the very beginning, you know, those connections with energy, vibration, electricity, all of that. So what did the storm do to his place in time to put him back to, or actually would be putting him ahead a few years? So apparently, you know, they refurbished the airfield. They started using it again. They changed uniforms. They painted planes, all this sort of thing a few years down the road. And when we talk about the storm kicking up and, uh, you know, catapulting him a few years ahead of time for just a moment, it almost reminds me of that movie, The Final Countdown, where the, uh, where the aircraft carrier basically end up, ended up going through a vortex of energy, ended up in modern aircraft carrier, ended up going back to World War II. And we talked about it before, you know, what would you change in history? And they elected not to participate in the war, even though they had the option there. But again, it used that idea of the catalyst of, you know, an electrical storm that they ended up going through. And the same thing kicked up and took them uh, back out of that point in time. So that's a fictional story but it's a very similar type of concept of using the electrical storm to do something, to charge the area, to change something with the energy of that point in time and sending someone forward or backward into another point in time. So I got a few of these. <laughs> and, we'll talk, and we'll get to the whole, okay, what's the interdimensional phasing part here? Uh, in a little bit, we're, we're getting there. So, um, 
So we're going from Versailles, 18th century, to pre-World War II, to yeah, maybe 1950s. We'll, we'll see what you think. It was dark and dank, the roadbed still wet with rain that had poured down for hours. A mist hung in the air, painting the aged sedan with fine droplets of water as the vehicle rambled down old Route 66. Up ahead on the right was a huddled figure in a brown trench coat and a tattered fedora, trudging up the road. As the car neared, the driver determined that the figure seemed to be an older gentleman and slowed, taking pity upon the old man and offering a ride out of the horrible weather. However, when the driver pulled up, the figure disappeared into the mist. Could the appearance and disappearance of ghosts and apparitions actually be a form of time travel? Let's take a look at a couple of examples. There's a strip of historic Route 66 in Oklahoma that runs from El Reno to Weatherford, which seems to be most particularly haunted. The visage of an old man on the roadside has a number of variations. As described earlier, some people have tried to offer him a ride, but he will simply vanish into thin air. One person actually enticed him into the car and described him as an eerie little man. Suddenly, the man tried to jump out of the car after it started moving, so the driver pulled over to let him out. However, the man was no longer in the car and was not spotted anywhere nearby. A few miles down the road, the driver saw the gentleman walking along the roadside the same way as he had before. Other drivers have stated the apparition jumps out into the road and they think they've hit him. However, when they get out of their cars to check, not a soul is around. Apparitions like this seem to be a glimpse of the past, our place in space and time enmeshing with another. Sometimes the ghosts look at us as if we are the ghosts. And if this is true, then while we're receiving a glimpse of the past, these souls from the past are receiving a glimpse of the future. Okay, there's a lot going on with that one. And just to kind of give a little shout out there that uh, the, the guy walking down the road there, that was my son, Chase, uh, many moons ago, <laughs> um, put him in a uh, trench coat and a uh, hat and just said, hey, walk, walk down the road. This is when we uh, lived in Oklahoma. And uh, yeah, so he had, he had fun with that. Uh, in any case. Yeah, a lot of things going on uh, with this particular ghostly vagabond. And uh, that's one strip of road along old Route 66, El Reno to Weatherford, that uh, appears to have this, what people would call a haunting. And there are other locations like this you know, all over the world. And it seems like it seems like the United States has a lot of these, uh, with uh, especially with like Route 66, because you'll get the same type of story uh, on different parts you know, of that old highway, but there are other locations throughout the country and throughout the world that have this story of the of the ghostly vagabond, of the ghostly hitchhiker. Um, there's one there in um, the uh, Bridgewater Triangle there in in Massachusetts, and that one, if I recall correctly, has red hair. Uh, so a little bit of a different physical description, but the same type of of idea there that you'll have these uh, these figures walking along the side of the road. They seem physical enough. Uh, they sometimes get into the car. So there's an actual physical interaction. And then, you know, they disappear. They scream like they want to get out. 
uh, you know, these different sorts of things. And then all of a sudden they're seen again later on, or like the whole idea of them jumping out into the, the middle of the road, what's going on there, but then there's nothing that that gets hit. So again, kind of going back to the idea, okay, you know, are, are they able to interact? Well, in this particular case, you know, apparently so that uh, they are able to interact and they look like a full physical person. Uh, and the fact that he's able to, you know, get into the car, open the door, sit down, that sort of thing, he's physically interacting with it. So those two points in time are enmeshed enough that they are able to have a physical interaction with each other. And then all of a sudden, you know, that moment subsides. The, uh, the thing that was bringing them together uh, whatever frequency or wavelength that they were on uh, for that moment just breaks. And all of a sudden, he's gone. So, uh, you know, really, really interesting set of circumstances here. And again, you, you see um, the idea here of you know, some sort of storm, some sort of, doesn't necessarily, necessarily have to be rain, but I think the... Um, the electrical output from the storm can help these things to happen. A uh, really great example of that actually that I personally had was at the 101 Ranch. This is also in Oklahoma, Ponca City. And you know, we were doing a paranormal investigation, the old, uh, the foundation of the old White House that's there. Nothing was going on. It was pretty much a, a dead night. You know, we'd spent the day kind of getting some film footage because I was doing one of my old ghosts and legends uh, documentaries and like, okay, we're getting hungry. Let's, you know, you know, head up the road, you know, get a quick bite to eat, get some snacks, some drinks, that sort of thing. While we were there, uh, doing that, all of a sudden the storm kicked up, um, lightning going on, thunder, you know, all of that. We had to wait it out there at the little gas station that we had stopped at. Once it blew through, we went back continued our investigation. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're hearing uh, drum beats coming up from the tree line. You know, there, it was a you know, heavily, uh, heavily laden with uh, Native American activity there back in the day. There were a lot of Native Americans that worked there on the ranch. But of course, that had all been uh, Native American land at one point. Uh, we saw, you know, lights in the trees dancing and things like this. So uh, the, you know, the storms and electricity definitely do something to charge the area and make more of these things happen. You know, Tom McNicholas down there in the chat always likes to point out to me, and Tom, I'm starting to remember a bit more now, you know, the, uh, the night at uh, Mineral Springs Hotel in Alton, Illinois, where we saw the, uh, the apparition of the little girl. Earlier that evening, we saw a fantastic lightning storm over the Mississippi River. Uh, that one was pretty wild because it was one of those where the uh, uh, you know the sky was purple. It had the really cool clouds and the uh, the lightning through. And there and there it is. It's Tom in the chat. Wonder if the little girl's still looking for us. Yep, right there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, per perfect example there of the uh, storm generating some sort of activity that. Some of it may be, you know, truly paranormal in, in nature, like the little girl. Um, you know, I think it was a, uh, you know, spirit there that was able to, you know, she manifested out of rolling black smoke and ended up becoming an apparition for us to see. And we all saw her a little bit differently. 
topic for another time, which we've talked about here a, a number of times. But the fact that we were actually able to see that much of her in that moment, because I'd investigated there many, many times before, had never had never had any sort of interaction there with her at all. And yet there was something about that evening, most likely the storm, that created enough energy and created the right situation for her to manifest and for us to see her. And I think that's what we get in a lot of these cases. Not all. It's not always a storm, but it's something. There is some sort of catalyst. Um, we have one more of these type of clips, and then we're going to get into a couple of other things here. And this is from uh, a number of you are familiar with this story. This is Johnny V's from Muskogee, Oklahoma. A personal experience that I had that could possibly be a time travel type of experience or possibly a time overlap experience was an encounter I had with a shadow person at a restaurant called Johnny V's in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We were just finishing up a paranormal investigation. A couple of people were upstairs in the bar area, some others were out in the restaurant area, and I decided to take a last photo sweep of the restaurant. As I was walking through the main doors to the kitchen of the restaurant, I suddenly spotted a shadow that darted across the kitchen really quick and slammed through the side door of that kitchen and into the restaurant. It was a very fast, very translucent shadow, but it was distinctly there and you heard the bang of the door when it slammed into it. What's unusual about this is that even though I heard the slam of that door, it was just a flimsy little metal door that you could open very easily with your finger, meant for waiters and waitresses to walk through with heavy trays of food, the door didn't open. I called out to the others to see if they had heard what I had, and they had. And I do have a theory on this, that this shadow person was some sort of interdimensional being, some reason crossing my plane of existence at that particular time, and that when I walked into the room, it saw me, I scared it, and it ran through that door. Now, perhaps on its plane of existence, that door opened wide and it ran right off into the dining room. But on my plane of existence, that door stayed closed. But sound being on a different wavelength resonated between the two planes of existence. While this could purely be an interdimensional being like I described, could this also have been someone else from the building's history? Our moments in time overlapping each other for a brief moment. Yeah, so the way I have typically described that in the past and the way that I describe it for my book, A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, you know, is the idea that this was some sort of interdimensional being that you know, when I walked into that room, that kitchen, that it saw me, the way it reacted was like I scared it. And it took off running. Maybe it saw me as a shadow. Maybe it saw me as a ghost, shimmer person, something. Again, there's some sort of interaction here between these two different planes of existence. Could have been another dimension. Could also have been another point in time, like I was saying there at the end, that maybe it was somebody from the building's history at another, maybe in the future, maybe in the past. And as I walked through, it saw me. And as it blew through that door, 
I have a lot of different things uh, that I like to talk about with this. So let's take a look at a few photos. Those that are listening to the podcast version of this later. Yes, you've been listening to video clips. Uh, I've been throwing some slides up on the screen here. I'm going to catch all that. ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Come and join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. This is Johnny V's. It's no longer Johnny V's restaurant. They had actually just closed when we investigated there, but the owner still had the keys and uh, let us investigate there as they were going through uh, everything. But here's the door in question. Again, just a very, very flimsy metal door. You could tap it with your finger. You could blow right through that um, you know, very easily. So the idea here, and this is the illustration that you saw. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking about some different aspects here. Okay, there's uh, the visual dimensional quality of seeing a person, seeing an object and interacting with something on the physical plane. And then there's also the audio component of it where, boom, we heard, I heard the bang. Actually, everybody heard the bang. Um, but again, we didn't, we didn't see the door open. So, you know, what's going on there? Well, you're talking about two different wavelengths. Seeing something with your eyes is a different wavelength than hearing something with your ears. And so while, okay, I could see the shadow, I was able to see enough of that, you know, dart across. It was just a wisp of a shadow. On its plane of existence, I believe that that door blew wide open. And he, I, I say he, I know it could have been a she, um, just kind of felt like it was a guy, I don't know. Male energy, right? Blew right through that door, ran off into the dining room. Sound being on a different wavelength, traversed the dimensions, traversed maybe the moments in time. And I could hear it even though I couldn't see it. So that's that's the going theory on that particular moment. So Sarah asks, um, has someone tried artificially ionizing the air to see if there is a ramp up in activity? So what people generally try to do is they have, and they sell these at like um, people who sell ghost equipment and things like that. Um, they have an EM pump, electro or EMF pump, electromagnetic field pump. And what they're trying to do is create an energy field for things to be able to, to manifest and, uh, you know, get energy to do something. And, you know, I don't know how well that works. Some people say, you know, works a little bit, gives them something to use. You know, I, I always kind of scratch my head at that. And it's like, it was as simple as just providing electricity. Then couldn't a ghost or a spirit or something like that, just kind of stick their finger in a wall socket and, and pick up on energy. Now I know I've been talking about, you know, the activity of the storm, something's going on here. That particular incident at Johnny V's, there wasn't anything like that going on. Now, you are talking about we were in a commercial kitchen. Uh, you know, was there enough equipment there or something? I mean, nothing was being used. You know, so it's you know, one of those, how do I want to say this? You know, we have a lot of different theories as, to, as far as what storms and things like that can do, how they can charge the air, how they can, you know, change the resonance and vibration. I mean, those are much bigger things. Those are much bigger things when we're talking about storms to be able to create that type of atmosphere. I don't know if a little EM pump or something like that would have enough oomph to be able to do that. Maybe I'm not going to rule it out. 
But yes, people do try to mimic those sorts of things. Um, and yeah, Tom's saying we thought about doing that, Sarah, on the next visit there. Yeah, um, you know, probably using you know some sort of device like that, right, Tom? Um, yeah, so people try. I just think you know, kind of almost like um, when we talk about okay, like what's a shadow person? I say, well, there's, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of different possibilities as to what these things can be, you know, and how they manifest could be in very different ways. I don't think there's like one you know, all-encompassing answer to it. So when I say you know, storm generated this, well, in that particular situation, you know, maybe that storm did. But then there are other situations that happen where, you know, you have a storm, nothing happens. You know, you don't have a storm, something happens. So what's the catalyst in that case? And why didn't a storm over there make something happen this time? You know, it's, it's one of those things in this world that you don't have these 100% sureties. And I think that's what we want, right? Um, you know, when we try to do something scientifically to be able to replicate it, replicate it, replicate it over and over and over again. And sometimes that just isn't always the case that you don't make something happen 100% of the time. You mentioned earlier about you know changing your frequency to be able to walk through a wall. Right now, Every time you walk up to a wall and try to walk through it, bang, 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 you're probably going to smack your head into the thing. But there is a very, 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 very minute chance and possibility that one of those times you will actually walk right through it. <laughs> All right. So that's Johnny V's. Uh, we've talked about Johnny V's a bit before. Okay. So... Got about 20 minutes left in the class. Um, I do want to talk very briefly about um, Goethe. So, you know, this is a fascinating historical going back a time a little bit here again now. Um, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, he, you know, very famous 18th century German poet. In his autobiography, Dichtung und Wahrheit, or Poetry and Truth, he recounts a confrontation that he once had with what we would call doppelganger. And I believe most cases of doppelgangers are something like time slips. And in this particular case, he encountered his own doppelganger was himself. Um, as he was on the road to Drusenheim to visit a young woman that he was having an affair with, uh, he was just, he was distressed and lost in his own thoughts, kind of off in, in la la land, so to speak. Um, almost kind of like that, you know, meditative daydreaming type of a state. He was, you know, thinking and thinking and thinking. At one point, Goethe glanced up and spotted a man dressed in a gold-trimmed gray suit. She thought it was very, very odd, gold-trimmed gray suit. Just as quickly as he spotted the man, the man suddenly vanished. Years later, he's traveling on that same road in the opposite direction, he realized at that moment that he was that he was actually wearing the same gold-trimmed gray suit that he'd seen on the vanishing man years beforehand. So essentially, he's seen his own doppelganger, right? Except that he realizes it was himself. Okay, so it wasn't a double, wasn't a quote-unquote evil twin, that sort of thing. It wasn't Hollywood look-alike. It was himself, years apart. So what was it that caused him 
to see that in that moment. This is a moment we're not talking storm. There's no storm going on here. He's, you know, walking down the road, you know. Um, there's nothing like that that is going on. He's lost in his own thoughts. So was it such a meditative thing that happened? Because you can change your brain wavelength. You know, when you go and, you, you know, we go through like the different sleep cycles, you know, alpha, theta, all of that stuff. We have covered that long ago in the past. We'll have to do another uh, class on it again. But, you know, his brainwave pattern apparently had gotten matched to a point where he could see other points in time. At another point when he was walking down that road, he was able to tune into that because of the meditative state that he was in. He has a uh, quote here from uh, Poetry and the Truth. I'll go ahead and read here for you because this is his, he took solace in this turn of events, yes. took It's right out of my book. Goethe, strange though it was, Goethe took solace in this turn of events, telling us in his great work. <laughs> it is strange, however, that eight years afterwards, I found myself on the very road to pay one more visit to Frederica in the dress of which I had dreamed, in which I wore, not from choice, but by accident, However, it may be with matters of this kind generally, this strange illusion in some measure calm me at the moment of parting, the pain of quitting forever the noble Alsace. With all that I had gained in it was softened, and having at last escaped the excitement of a farewell, I found myself on a peaceful and quiet journey, pretty well recovered. So something about realizing that he had actually seen himself walking down that same road much more peacefully later on, you know, gave him, gave him some sort of solace in that moment. So um, Sarah asking, would remote viewing or astral travel be a step towards experiencing time slips? I believe so. I, I believe astral projection, hmm. we're going to see it here in a moment in, in one of these cases. But yes, it basically, when you project, like if you're projecting to somewhere else in this plane of existence, you are in a sense doing something within that, something extra within the time dimension, although you're still technically in that quote unquote river of time. But we'll we'll see here. We'll see here in a moment. Okay. So that's Goethe. Uh, this kind of almost takes us into, when we talk doppelganger type experiences, this kind of takes us into the doppelganger shadow story that uh, Jim Harold had uh, related to me a couple of years ago. We've talked about it here before when we've talked shadows. Um, but it, it's really prevalent in that young man, um, when he was a little boy, had walked into the kitchen one day, and there standing by the kitchen table was this tall, dark, shadowy, hooded figure. Scared him to death, ran out of the room. Years later, he's in the kitchen. He's at the kitchen table making a sandwich. He has a hoodie on. Sees this short shadow person walk into the kitchen, and all of a sudden, turn around, boom, take off. 
And he realized in that moment, oh my gosh, that was me when I was a little kid. And when I was a little kid, I saw myself more grown, just happened to be in a hoodie making a sandwich at the kitchen table. So here it is, a sort of doppelganger type of story. I mean, they did not look exactly the same because, you know, one was short, one was tall, one was a kid, one was a um, young adult. Shadows, secondly. And they were two different points in time. So basically three different things going on here. If we were to look at it from like a paranormal lens, they would say, well, you know, doppelganger, time slip, shadow people. And it was all the same thing. All the same thing happening here. So what was going on here? What was so special about that moment that those two moments were vibrating, I would say, almost at the right frequency. It wasn't perfect because they only saw each other as shadows. They didn't see themselves fully formed. Where in other cases, people do see fully formed individuals. But these only came off as shadows. So... Whatever vibration or resonance was going on at that moment between those two different moments in time, it just it wasn't quite perfect enough, but enough for them to be able to at least see each other a little bit. Okay. As we kind of roll along here, we're going to hit the conjuring house. This is, uh, of course, you know, my good friend Andrea Perrin. Uh, one of the most fascinating stories, and she will say it was the most fascinating thing that ever happened at the house with all the different things that happened there. It was this particular thing, and that was the the time slip. And this is more of her mother's story, but it involves Andrea as well, because uh, uh, Carolyn was up. Uh, Andrea uh, was also, her, her mother had not had dinner that night. Um, I think she had come home later, whatever the heck the, was going on. So Andrea said, would you like something to eat? I can make you some coffee, et cetera. Yes, goes in the kitchen to start doing those different things. And Carolyn was in the parlor, which is, oh, come now. I uploaded all the photos. Where is the parlor photo? Well, we'll upload it right now. I don't know why I didn't grab it. That happened times. There it is. This is the parlor. So Carolyn is in here. And as she's sitting there and Andrea's back off in the kitchen, uh, making, you know, heating up some food, making some coffee, Carolyn sees in the dining room, this used to be the dining room, all of a sudden appear an entire family. So at this fireplace, which at the time was boarded up and had been boarded up for a hundred years. All of a sudden it was open. There was a raging fire and there was a woman cooking over it. There were a couple of children uh, running around in here, like through that doorway there. And then in the middle was a long table. And there were two men sitting there with pewter steins. And they turned and looked at Carolyn, who was back in the parlor over here, and you know, one said to the other, well, would you look at that? As if Carolyn was the ghost. So Carolyn basically saw them as like this ghostly family in the dining room while they saw her as a ghostly person sitting there in the parlor. So that story in and of itself is absolutely 
fascinating. So then the question becomes, what made it happen? There's a lot of things that happened at that house. And I'm not going to say that this is the one thing that makes stuff happen there. I think there's a lot of things going on there. You know, one, you could say Native American land, absolutely. All throughout, throughout that area, for sure. A lot of things have happened there over the years. You know, there's a lot of um, energy that's pent up there. I mean, the, the house is almost 400 years old. We actually don't know exactly how old it is, but approximately 1630, 1640. So it's coming up on 400 years. But the thing that's always fascinated me about this place is the well room. Why is that? Well, it's in the basement and it is actually directly under the parlor. And this room does have an open well with water in it. Also within the well room, the way the room is actually constructed, there's Corey Heinzen, the former owner. So it's actually made of, you can see them here, limestone uh, blocks, smaller blocks. We're not talking like Great Pyramid of Giza, but it has similar properties. And up on top of these, limestone blocks are much larger granite blocks. That's a pretty large granite block that, that Corey has his hand on there. And that's the construction of this room. Open hole into the ground with water. Limestone walls capped with granite blocks. We see this type of thing in Egypt all the time. And what is that supposed to do? Well, it's, it's, creating, and, it's creating and harnessing energy. Granite is made of, depending on the type of granite, up to 60% quartz, which we use in our electronic components to this day, piezoelectric uh, energy. So this becomes like a perfect little power plant. And as you go up through the house, so you have the parlor here, which Carolyn saw a time slip. Straight above that is Andrea Perrin's bedroom, which is looking at this photo through that doorway. That's Andrea's bedroom and a couple of the other girls. I mean, you had, you know, all these girls having to share a couple of rooms. So you guys have seen this photo before. Basically what we're looking at here, everything in the foreground of this photo is stationary. But once you get to that wall and that doorway with the interior window, you know, obviously, you know, the, the house was built onto sections, you know, section here, section there. So this was once, uh, that window was, <laughs> used to be an exterior window, obviously. Um, but within that room, something is going on with the energy. I got dizzy there uh, earlier that day, just standing basically right on the other side of that interior window. Something goes on there. And everything you can see here is suddenly shifted to the right. There is a window back behind this wall piece from that interior window to the doorway. There's a small section of wall. Directly behind that wall in the other room is an exterior window today. And that entire thing is shifted to the right and is covering that chalkboard. It is, I call it interdimensional phasing. It is phasing for sure. I call it interdimensional because of the nature of this house and the things that go on there, you know, between the ghosts that are seen, um, the shadows that have been seen, that is from that doorway. That's where, uh, you know, Carl Johnson had 
witnessed the shadow smoke. Andrea has seen the shadow smoke around that area too. There is something that happens there. You know, people and things manifest from that area. Uh, different stories that the you know, girls had, had told before, they felt like they were in a time bubble, that you know, time would work differently while you know, supernatural things were happening there. It would work faster or slower. And so they would call it like being in a bubble right there. So something is happening there, and I believe it is charged from that well room. I think there's already things that were going on within the house, but I think that well room supercharges the whole thing. And you go up from there through the house, and that's where like the most prevalent things happen. So let's get to the whole idea of the phase shift because we're, we're getting uh, you know, kind of down to the, uh, to the wire here. So as we look at what an actual phase shift is, oh my gosh, Mike is going to throw math at you. Uh-oh, uh-oh. All right, well, we have, we have wave patterns here. This is the most basic way to kind of show what a phase shift is without getting too crazy technical. Yes, you see sine and cosine waves here. Um, but that is basically the idea that one wave is uh, shifted horizontally, could be before, could be after, from the initial onset of the wave. I'm not going to get into the you know, all the math there on the side, but this is basically what they call a phase shift. And another way to uh, look at that, if you uh, have two uh, wavelengths here, and they're showing some different examples, you know, you have an A wave and a B wave. And the top example here, A is... Um, shifting a number of degrees. So uh, A is ahead of B by 90 degrees. The second one, B is ahead of A by 90 degrees. They look almost essentially the same, except the two different colors are uh, interposed. And the third phase shift, 180 degrees, it's shifted far enough that they actually become mirror images of each other, which to me is really interesting because it almost gives you like the infinity symbol, right? And then the uh, the bottom example is a phase shift of zero degrees and they're they're both exactly the same, obviously. If you know there is no shift, then they're going to look exactly the same. So that's the idea of what a phase shift is. And a really, really interesting example of this, it's also what a lot of people call a doppelganger story, Emily Saget, who was a, she was a school teacher. She was a French school teacher uh, teaching back in the 18th century. The tale was first chronicled by Robert Dale Owen in his uh, Footfalls on the Boundary of Another World. This was a book that came out in 1860, and it had a lot of different interesting stories about real-life experiences that you know, people had had that were paranormal, supernatural nature, esoteric, strange stuff, things that were just unexplained. You know, People didn't know how to categorize it, and they were trying to come to some sort of understanding of what in the world was happening. So this here is not a photo of Emily Saget. There is no photo of her. We're just using an example of a school teacher in a historic setting. This would probably, looking at the time frame of this particular photo, this was probably a good 50 years at least after the fact. Uh, but basically she taught at Pizionat Don Nuovelka, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's in modern day Latvia. Uh, but she taught there in 1845. It was an elite boarding school. 
attended by some of the most influential families of the time, including the daughter of Baron von Guldenstube, Julie, who's the one that put Owen onto this story. So some of the more prevalent things that happened with Emily. Now, poor girl, she started teaching at the age of 16. And when she taught there at this particular school, she was 32 years old. And in that time, it had 18 posts. And it wasn't because she was a bad teacher. In fact, when she eventually had to leave this particular school, they gave her glowing reviews and wrote her, you know, letters of recommendation, all that, because she was actually a very, very good teacher. And she was a very nice person, very helpful, all that. Everybody loved her. But she had to go because of stuff like, well, one day she's writing something on a chalkboard. You know, she's whatever point that she was making, she apparently was getting very passionate about. And then all of a sudden, there was a second personage of her off to the side, looking as if she was writing on the chalkboard, but she had no chalk in hand. So here's one writing on the chalkboard, the other looking like they're writing the chalkboard, maybe making the exact same movements, but no chalk. Another time she was helping a uh, girl getting ready for a garden party and hooking the dress, you know, getting her, uh, you know, put together and all that. And the girl looks in the, uh, you know, mirror as Emily's taking care of her. And all of a sudden she sees another Emily right next to her, looking as if she is also hooking the dress, making the same exact movements. Other times she's sitting down at dinner with, with the girls and with the staff, you know, eating knife, fork, spoon, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, transposed from her is another one of her making the exact same movements as if she's you know, eating, cutting, using utensils, but there's no utensils in her hand. So what is going on here? Now, we were just talking about, you know, a, a shift, you know, what we're calling a phase shift, one image moving horizontally from the other. So we take a look at uh, Emily here. Well, again, this is not really Emily. This is just a historic photo of a school teacher. This is kind of what they would have seen all of a sudden, where all of a sudden you have a second school teacher off to the side. This would be what we would call a phase shift. So the question then becomes, what made her do this? It's not, you know, we were talking before storms. We were talking before location. We were talking before, um, you know, little power plants in the basement of the conjuring house. Well, if that was the case, if it was the building, the site, the location, some extenuating circumstances like a major storm that supercharged the area, then it would affect everybody. And you would have something more like this where the entire class would be shifted. The entire class would be uh, transposed off to the side. But that's not what happened. It was just her. So something specifically was happening with Emily. Something was happening with her personal 
resonance frequency of vibration that was causing a projection of her to move off to the side. I'm not exactly sure how that would have worked, but something with her was causing that to happen. Now, there are other strange events that happened with her. That in itself, would just, that would be the phase shift. But there are other things that happened with her where people would see another version of her walking down the hall where, okay, there's Emily. Well, I just, did you see Miss Chesney? Yeah, I just saw her over there. No, she's over there. That's impossible. I just saw her back there, you know, going down the hallway or up the stairs. There's one particular time where um, the entire uh, school, it was 40, uh, 42 girls, and they were in a giant hall near the uh, front of the building doing embroidery. Emily was outside in the garden doing some gardening. The teacher that was sitting there with the 42 girls got up to leave. And after a few moments, few minutes of the girls being there by themselves doing their embroidery, all of a sudden, there was Emily sitting in the chair in which the other teacher had just been. But yet they look out into the garden, and there's Emily still working in the garden. But the interesting thing is that she had really slowed down. One of the girls got up to, you know, try to touch her to see what was going on. And apparently there was some, some resistance or something like that going on. But this double of Emily eventually went away. It just kind of faded out. And Emily, back in the garden, picked up speed and went back to her normal, her normal speed or normal action. So now this was, this was really interesting because uh, there was another time where she had been sick and you know, she was in bed and all of a sudden you know, the, the woman that was uh, watching over her saw her get you know, really, you know, just her breathing slowed down. It was like, okay, something strange is going on here. She went down, she was going to try to get some help and all of a sudden she saw Emily walking around uh, on the next level. She was, I just saw her upstairs, what in the world? So not believing her you know, census went back up the stairs. I, th I thought I just, and there Emily was, and all of a sudden she, you know, started getting back to her normal breathing rate and everything again and did not see the other double. So there's something here where um, Emily was able to, unconsciously, she had no idea she was doing this. She absolutely had no idea that she was doing this. Um, you know, like her, she said that her thoughts when she was out there in the garden was, well, the other teacher shouldn't have gone away. The girls would get up the mischief. That was her thought while she was in the garden. But the whole time she thought she was working in the garden. And yet there was a version of her that was sitting in the chair over there. So there was something that was going on with her. Maybe, and it couldn't even have been that, you know, those moments in time are almost like splitting from each other and creating these other projections of her. I need a couple of comments down in here. And Tom, doesn't experiencing a, a doppelganger mean the person is going to die shortly after? That's that's the old myth and legend. No. That's when people get into the, um, uh, the kind of evil twin sort of thing. No, these are, they're time slips is what they are. 
here, seeing another version of themselves. And I think with Emily, it's almost like she's been dislodged from time, that you know, she is able to be in, literally in the same place at the same time herself, absolutely herself. You know, one is the physical being, the other is you know, her energy that is in another spot. So when Sarah was asking earlier, would remote viewing or astral travel be a step toward experiencing time slips? This is where I was like, yeah, we're going to get to that type of story here. And that is in one sense, I think kind of what Emily was doing when she was out in the garden and all of a sudden she's also in the hall. That would be a type of physical astral projection. You know, usually when people astral project, you know, they end up in somebody's room. And I've kind of thrown the idea out there. You know, what if the person, you know, was to wake up? Or what if they see the astral projection? Did they see a shadow? You know, I've, I've thrown that idea out there, you know, for, for shadow people. You know, would they see a shadow? You know, would they see like a shimmer type of a person? Here, they're seeing full manifestation of another person, that exact same person there. Now, with the... With the shifts, I think that's just an energetic shift of the person, almost like a glitch in the matrix sort of thing, right? Um, you're, there's a glitch in the time matrix here with her where, you know, and it, it's really is, it really is her and not everything around. Like when she's drawing on the, on the chalkboard, the chalk doesn't come with her. It's just herself. She's, kind of quote-unquote mimicking the movement. She's really still doing the movements, but there's an image of her that is projected off to the side, that that phase shift that's going on. So it's not going to take the chalk with you. The, the chalk isn't phase shifting. It's just her. So a lot of interesting things here to, to contemplate. And this is one of the things, one of the rabbit holes that I'm diving down into with, uh, with the new book. This is, you're, you're basically... Uh, getting a glimpse of what I've been writing about for the past uh, probably week and a half now. <laughs> so, uh, but that is going to do it for this evening. We've run a couple minutes past our time. For those that are listening to the podcast version of this later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. You can get, you can watch all those video clips that we just did, see the full slide presentation in everything uh, along with us 30-day free trial connecteduniverseportal.com for those that are with us here every week um, we are taking a week off next week i will be traveling so i will not have um, i set up readily available to me uh, so we will take next week off and then we'll be back uh, the week after so all right, everybody till next time time really exists <laughs>